Hello and welcome to GeoThoughts Conversations. I'm Sam Lumley. In today's conversation, we take a look back on five successful years of GeoThink research, reflecting on how GeoThink has changed over time, on some of the grant's key outcomes, and on GeoThink's influence on the wider community. Joining us are GeoThink head Rene Sieber, an Associate Professor in McGill's Department of Geography and School of Environment, current GeoThink Project Manager Drew Bush, a postdoctoral researcher in the Department of Geography at McGill, and former GeoThink Project Manager and doctoral candidate Sonia Solomon. We start off by asking our conversants, what is GeoThink and how has it changed since its inception? Well, GeoThink is a partnership with some 27 municipalities, private sector firms, uh, nonprofit groups to examine the question of the role of various kinds of technologies in transforming the interactions between citizens and cities. And uh, one of the things that's changed over time was we originally started out with computerized mapping. There's a lot of research done on what's called public participation geographic information systems. Uh, and how citizens are using maps to engage with cities and to also counter cities. But that quickly shifted as we were writing the grant to issues of um, open data, open government data, and how um, cities were using it to um, open up the political process, um, to, uh, to citizens, to give citizens a sense of what data undergirded uh, decision-making. Also, this data is quite useful for the private sector. And uh, from that, it's also moved to questions about political economy, of the sharing economy, of smart cities. Uh, so we are looking at a cluster of information communication technologies that are really revolutionizing the way that citizens can engage with cities and cities talk back to them. So given the wide range of issues that the grant examines, which disciplines did you think researchers fall into? Um, well, I think that, you know, speaking to what GeoThink is, um, you know, one thing that's important to remember is that it's very interdisciplinary. So there are researchers that are from a variety of different disciplines, not just geography, but law, computer science, um, urban planning, and a variety of others. And so our, I think our projects really reflect that interdisciplinarity. There have been projects looking at the value of open data, as Renee just mentioned, looking at standards for open data, looking at data literacy and the role of hackathons um, on emergent topics such as civic tech. Um, but then we also have projects that look at using maps for social justice, using maps to try to figure out, you know, what areas of Canada don't have enough local news outlets covering them or serving them. Um, we even have projects through some of our postdoctoral and graduate students that are looking at engaging people in science in the city. So things look like looking at urban trees and also at historical meteorological records. Um, so there's really a breadth of research, I think, that spans the different disciplines and the different institutions that are involved in the grant. All connected through this question of how these new communications, these new information technologies are transforming this conversation. 
Speaking to those points, the past five years have been accompanied by rapid political and technological shifts. How has GeoThink's relevancy changed during this time? I think the the strength of GeoThink is really echoed in two things. Um, the durability of issues that we focus on, particularly those endemic to Canadian society, such as participation, inclusion, uh, digital and social divides, the changing political economy, as Renee mentioned, of the sharing economy, etc., um, as well as looking at issues of open data in the move from urban to rural. Um, and so I think that there's a strong durability there in our research. And secondly, the ability to speak directly to uh, public impact um, of research as it pertains to technological shifts. So while our research themes serve as sort of guiding posts to direct research, um, our main goal has always been action-oriented research that betters uh, Canadian life. Let me give you an example. The Certainly, the way that the public engages with a municipal government has changed, but many things have remained the same. So now you go onto a website, you download a building permit, uh, there may uh, a particular um, app on a phone may ask you for feedback for a particular zoning decision. So a lot of things, a city council meeting minutes available online in multiple languages, a lot of things have moved onto the internet. But the issues of engaging a broad swath of the population beyond just the people who have the time, the money, and the interest to participate in a council meeting, that remains the same. Uh, digital divides remain. It, it's it's fascinating how much we think we have covered a digital divide and all of a sudden a new one pops up, that we get more people uh, online and all of a sudden we're moving more things to the mobile phones, which means we need to make sure everybody has a mobile phone plan instead of just making sure that we have to supply people with web-based solutions, mobile-based solutions, uh, SMS, text message-based solutions. Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of people are getting online, but there still are these nagging lag effects where you sort of fix one problem and a new problem emerges. And I would just add that, um, you know, one thing that's unique about GeoThink is that it's very much tied into the community of practitioners in terms of its partners. So all of the municipal partners and the nonprofit and industrial partners mean that the research that GeoThink does evolves based upon those practical needs. And so as these digital changes take place within cities, the research has evolved to address what those practitioners are facing. So one of the things that we found in Kelowna, BC, was <clears throat> you have all this digital technology out there, but huh, who doesn't have it? Homeless people are one example of people who don't have it. So you, uh, so you see uh, a population that doesn't have access as increasing amounts of um, information moves online, so they don't have access to that. So how do you solve that problem? So you provide, uh, we built a portal to hopefully provide better connections for homeless people um, to those resources. 
And just as importantly, one of the things that you find in the social service community is a, a great fragmentation of services. So you have, uh, <clears throat> uh, there may be one place that's offering beds for the night, you have one place that's offering food, you may have one place that's offering health services and there's no coordination. So in the act of building a site that allows homeless people to access information, you also create a data, a data standard or a structure for uh, the agencies to be able to collaborate with each other. And, and I might add uh, to that point that, importantly, GeoThink has also been actively involved in not just building platforms and tools and portals, uh, which may or may not automatically mitigate some of the issues raised by access to digital services, as, as mentioned, but also increasing digital literacy efforts and making sure citizens know how to gain access to these uh, new tools. And looking back on the past five years, what have been the biggest challenges or surprises throughout the grant? Um, one of the biggest challenges, and we knew this from the start, would be um, the sustainability of municipal partnerships. Cities change a lot. Um, municipal employees uh, move up. They move out. Uh, one of the challenges of our grant is we selected the best practices municipalities in terms of open data and other digital initiatives. Well, they tend to move on to bigger and better things. Uh, then what happens is you have a city essentially starting from ground zero again. Um, they don't easily build up and sustain the infrastructure, for example, really to open data because it's not a mission critical part of their activities, at least in Canada. Sonia can speak to one of the surprises. Uh, and I think on that note, um, perhaps a nice surprise about this uh, evolution and trajectory that people take is to see our participants come full circle. Um, for instance, Professor Victoria Fast was previously a GeoThink student working with our co-applicant, uh, Klaus Rinner and is now an assistant professor at the University of Calgary and is also an active GeoThink collaborator. So it's wonderful for me to um, see this evolution come full circle. Yeah. And on just a, you know, another topic that I think is a challenge in any type of grant of this nature, um, you know, is, is lining up the communication between the municipal partners and the researchers too, I think. So one thing we hear expressed a fair amount is, you know, municipal practitioners might be on a very quick timeline, whereas research timelines tend to be more long term. Um, so there's a lot of, I think, work that goes on making sure that the research is very much relevant to our municipal partners and our nonprofit partners. Um, and it can be a real challenge trying to meet sort of different needs in that sense too. And thinking about the legacy that GeoThink will leave behind, what are GeoThink's most important research outcomes? We have trained over 100 undergraduates and graduate students. I think that's a big success of any academic research grant. Uh, <clears throat> some of them have gone on to work in the very municipalities who are our partners. Uh, we now have a graduate student who works in as a smart city and data liaison uh, within the city of Montreal. Um, 
And I know that uh, other people on this uh, talk have other examples of student success stories. Uh, our colleague Pamela Robinson has essentially built a large-scale distance education course for municipal employees to educate them about the power and the potential of civic tech. To add to that, we've also uh, put on several annual summer institutes designed for students um, to be specifically trained on a given theme pertaining to our research that year, which also, while designed for student mentorship um, and advancement of early career researchers, as well as graduating students, is also an opportunity to directly engage the needs of the particular municipality in which the Summer Institute takes place. If I can jump in there, our last example, Summer Institute, was in Montreal, with the City of Montreal, with public employees of the city, as well as elected officials of the city. It was quite interesting to hear their slightly different take on the importance of data and uh, intelligence in the city, uh, and possibly also looking at the need for slow cities that uh, address social justice issues. And we also had uh, people from um, uh, the, what was it, the, uh, a smart bike company come in. Local Logic. And Local Logic come in to talk about um, the uses of data uh, for um, these various uh, small startups and uh, how they saw themselves fitting into the new smart city. They gave students an absolutely excellent opportunity to see how smart cities, the concept sort of spins out in all of these different uh, sectors and uh, agendas. And, and I'd, I'd say that, you know, from just from a purely academic or research um, product perspective, the grant has been fairly prolific in putting out now what will, at the end of it, be about three published books with chapters from grant members, um, over 25 refereed manuscripts, probably at this point hundreds of conference presentations, the organization of several conferences, including GI Science, which was held in Montreal, and Spatial Knowledge and Information Canada. Um, so I think those are just to name a few, but there are quite a lot of different research products that are out there in the academic community too. And maybe just to add to that, we really focus on academic research that has an impact beyond the academic community. And strongly engages students as well. We make a point wherever possible to have students as co-authors of academic and outreach publications and have them actually lead, be the primary authors, both in the publications and also for workshops and other training opportunities. How has GeoThink research informed government policy and commercial practice outside of academia? One of our uh, sex, our more recent success stories has been data standards.directory. This came actually from uh, the city of Vancouver. Uh, they asked us, it's like, how do we know what, how do we distinguish a good open data standard from a bad open data standard? People who are listening to this probably will 
know of where they will have used GTFS, the General Transit Feed Specification. They may never have heard of the acronym GTFS, but if they go to Google Transit or they go to Next Bus and they ask when the next bus is going to arrive, arrive they're essentially uh, using a, an open data standard. Well, um, that's an easy one. That's been proven as being a good standard. But there are lots of other open data standards out there. How do we know the good ones from the bad ones? And the city of Vancouver said, how can you, can you help us and build a dashboard of these things? So datastandards.directory is an example of that dashboard. Our GeoThink and Learns, which are our webinar format, um, presentation where we have panelists from all over the grant and from issue areas that are of importance to the grant but maybe aren't a part of GeoThink presenting to audiences that are composed of um, the public as well as the community of research and, and, and practitioners involved in the different issues that we've covered and those have been some really dynamic sessions they've come out the last year of the grant so they've been an opportunity for GeoThink researchers to talk about a lot of their research outcomes to this very broad audience. Um, and they featured a number of really interesting topics. So for example, the open data standards directory that Renee just mentioned featured in a GeoThink and Learn. But we've also talked about artificial intelligence. Yeah, and I and there's been so many. Um, uh, one of my favorite ones was the open government partnership um, panel that we did that also featured uh, a speaker, Dan Daniel Pahe, who is the independent reporting mechanism researcher for the Ontario Open Government Action Plan. So he actually reviewed the 2017 action plan and spoke about it on a panel uh, that included other practitioners. And I think uh, I would agree with Drew that the GeoThink and Learns have been a very um, successful recent uh, endeavor of GeoThink, and not only because of the great feedback that we received from uh, audience members. So there are lots of different ways in which we try to address the needs of all of our multi-stakeholder members. And uh, what have GeoThink's outcomes been for citizens in the wider community? Yeah, I think there there are a number of products which have direct implications for citizens in the ways that they think about interacting with government in their cities. Um, and in particular, you know, the two that really spring to mind are the Citizen Guide to Open Data and the more recent Citizen Guide to the Smart City. I mean, these are research products that are framed from a practical standpoint so that citizens can better interact with their cities, have more productive and effective interactions, and understand, you know, really where the data is that influences their lives and how to speak to municipal officials about it and to get what they need in terms of services in some cases, but also just in terms of information um, when they're, you know, working with these types of, of products. And without them, I think, you know, many citizens might be lost in this increasingly digitally enabled, you know, cities and city environment or urban environment that we now live in. We uh, spend a lot of time with our colleague Bianca Wiley, who's a civic tech activist in Toronto, to develop a series of questions that must be asked of any smart city implementation that was spe specifically uh, directed towards Waterfront Toronto, which is the largest North American smart city proposal out there at the moment. 
And there was great concern that it was being guided by a lot of technological evangelism on how uh, smart cities would solve all sorts of chronic urban ills and frankly make the city more efficient. And there's this continuing discourse that cities have to be as efficient as possible. And, you know, that's not a bad thing that you don't want cities to waste taxpayer money. But cities are often not efficient for a reason because, for example, serving poor people or marginalized people is not efficient. And, and a part of automation and efficiency also has huge implications for privacy invasions and for surveillance. So we wanted to get the dialogue started around what are the impacts of the smart city on the city of Toronto, on the residents of Toronto, on the residents of waterfront Toronto, <clears throat> and the visitors to waterfront Toronto. Uh, so we have eight categories of questions in our list, and we've uh, made sure that uh, we've had a voice in, in the major Canadian newspapers, as well as in the New York Times, to sort of highlight a nuanced critique of the smart city that has the citizen in mind. Yeah, and I think what's important um, in all of that is also that this is, you know, research that enables that as a two-way conversation. So it's not just top-down, mm -hmm. but it's research that enables citizens to actually influence the way that these changes are taking place in their cities and to have a voice in it. And it recognizes that the cities are not this dictatorial homogenous unit, but they are sincere public servants who want as much to talk to citizens as citizens want to talk to them. Mm -hmm. and, and I would add to that that I really appreciated the way we reframed the conversation around smart cities at our last summer institute and asked students to think about questions such as why is it why would it be smart for a city to be slow? Um, and I'm doing slow in, in air quotes right now <laughs> on a radio broadcast. Um, if we think of an emergence of a new technology set, such as an autom automated vehicle or a self-driving car, why might it be actually uh, smart to be slow in the emergence and development of this technology and look at things like insurance, compliance, how it affects infrastructures. How has JThink Research been recognized in Canada and internationally? <clears throat> well, uh, our data standards directory has been positively reviewed within Canada, for example, by the Canadian Open Data Exchange and internationally, for example, by the UK's Open Data Institute in, in US, our partner there is John Hopkins. So we received a lot of press about the, the data standards directory and how useful it is. And, you know, it's really nice to have tweets or emails from people who say, I actually use this in my city. It was helpful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can't get any better international recognition than that, although there, you know, we have been invited to numerous Government of Canada and United Nations uh, events to publicize work related to GeoThink anywhere from the value of open data and whether it still should be valued in the same way as it used to be, issues of privacy and data protection, 
as well as issues of um, data, open data licensing. I would also say that uh, our international members, uh, Mookie Hackley, our colleague, has had leading work on crowdsourcing and an international impact in the field of geography, uh, evinced by his recent contribution to the European Handbook of Crowdsourced Geographic Information, uh, amongst others. Both GeoThink Research and GeoThink members have been uh, formally recognized with various awards. Peter Johnson was recognized with the Ontario Government Early Researcher Award. Um, Professor Sieber, of course, has been awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award by the Canadian Association of Geographers. GeoThink has been investigating how the Geospatial Web 2.0 is reshaping government-citizen interactions. What is the future direction of this sort of research? Well, one of the interesting things about the research is it wasn't even static while it was going. So it was trying as much as possible to track emergent technologies at the time. So we didn't come into the project thinking we would spend a lot of time looking at the sharing economy or the gig economy or self-driving cars. But our research was a natural fit for looking at the technologies as they change increasingly we're starting to look at we're starting to look at algorithmic governance we're starting to look at artificial intelligence in the way that can have dramatic dramatic impacts on the way that government uh, we're specifically interested in cities talk to citizens uh, like um, we often talk about the automation we talked in geothink uh, the original grant about how city citizens would use technology to communicate with cities well ai could allow chatbots to communicate with citizens to the point that a citizen may not know that he or she is talking to an ai what does that mean for um, social obligations, notions of rights and responsibilities, democratic responsibilities for the citizen if the interaction is artificial or virtual? And I would add that, you know, these issues that, that are interdisciplinary and that have been raised during the first iteration of GeoThink um, apply in that context equally. Um, so issues of Know, information policy and privacy and all of these things that have been raised throughout GeoThink, um, you know, have even more importance when we start thinking about AI and algorithmic governance and the ways in which such things will perhaps violate, you know, individual citizens' privacy and make decisions that they're not even aware of, um, you know, based on basically what amounts to code that a computer programmer might have put together and included in a package for one of the cities that GeoThink works with. So a lot of times we spend time thinking about how we communicate with each other. You're a data scientist. Can you talk to an urban planner? How can we help you communicate your jargon so it's, there's less jargon to an urban planner, an academic, or someone in city government. How do we begin to unwrap the black box of some of these technologies so that we implement them in a very um, nuanced and respectful and fair and equitable way um, so that people understand the implications of the technology as much as we can understand the implications of highly emergent 
um, and unanticipated outcomes of technologies. Finally, what does the future hold for GeoThink and its researchers? Well, we currently have a number of smart city projects underway. So we're going to build on the frameworks, the theories, the examples, the best practices we built to start looking more seriously at um, smart city data, smart city hardware and software, the people implicated in smart cities. And we're increasingly looking at issues related to artificial intelligence and algorithmic governance. So we looked in our first grant about the value of, AI, of uh, open data. How do we even begin to understand how useful it is if a data set gets downloaded only once and may be used by thousands of people? It's actually very tricky to track uh, and to put a dollar sign on the value of that usage. It is very difficult to understand how we even begin to audit algorithms. Hmm. How we make the connection between the input, the training data, and the output, the decision-making result, the rules that are extracted, the patterns that, are, that emerge. Um, so it is our hope that we'll go forward in trying to unpack those black boxes in a way that everybody can understand. Yeah, and I, I would add, you know, that this is an area that's so new for so many cities that, um, you know, the future is, is relatively open in some sense in terms of the research agenda that can be set and that I think GeoThink will be setting for this topic. I think, I think it is important for us in Canada to make our mark on the world. If we do not ask these questions, if we do not research these questions, you look at AI as an example. One of the things we're worried about vis-a-vis -vis AI is that it can be trained on data outside our country, but used within our country. So we need to know about the impacts of this and we need to know about it in an interdisciplinary framework because computer scientists alone are not going to be able to answer this question. Law scholars alone will not be able to answer these questions. So being able to understand the impacts on Canada and also being able to promote Canada's role in understanding these um, these the implications of these technologies there will be a lot of money put into building new deep learning, deep, uh, new convolution neural networks uh, for AI. There will be far less work put into understanding the implications and whether even we should adopt the technologies or not, because we shouldn't leave that off the table. We shouldn't think of these technologies as inevitable and so that we're victims in the face of the technology. How can we get ahead of the technology and how can we ensure that Canada is a leader in promoting fair and equitable algorithms and AIs and other forms of technology? GeoThoughts are brought to you by geothink.ca, supported by generous funding from Canada's Social Sciences and Research Council and generous donations from our grant partners.